0: Thank you
1: very much for having me on the the podcast.
0: The article in the purebred pigeon that was that was a real eye catcher. That was really cool.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you guys liked it. it it's definitely a very unique breed. One that a lot of people aren't even aware that it originated in the United States. And it's 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 unfortunately much more rare than I I would like it to be.
0: Even uh, even right now, it's. It still hasn't really come back that much.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely a a resurgence over the last couple of years, and you know there there's really been an interesting evolution of the breed. Um, You know, and and I cover this you know pretty extensively in the purebred pigeon article that you referenced. The you know the breed is is quite an old breed. You know, it's it's been around for a number of years. You know, it's certainly it's not new per se, but it is it is definitely a breed that. Uh, a lot of people aren't familiar with simply because it isn't shown very frequently, and so because of that, you know, there's not a lot of exposure to the breed, and and so, you know, it's it's pretty interesting. You know, whenever I have them in the, in a show, people say pretty frequently they've heard of them, uh, but they've never actually seen them, and so it's you know, not a new breed, and a lot of folks who haven't seen them. I mean, it really just it lends to the fact that. They, they need to be shown more frequently and exposure needs to increase. But, you know, it's, it's definitely, the, it's the first breed I started with more than 30 years ago. And, you know, I, I fell in love with them. Certainly loved other pigeon breeds along the way. You know, they, they've got a, a special place in my heart and certainly a special place in my life.
0: Yeah, no, the, uh, I, I personally, I love rolling up and uh, seeing a bird that I've only ever read about. Or heard about you know it's always cool to see it in person for the first time so you know hopefully that put a spark in some people when they saw them
1: yeah hopefully so hopefully so yeah the the the, the journey you know a little bit of the history on the breed i think that's always fascinating you know the standard uh mentions the history of the breed as well and it's it, it's not very often that you have a, a breed that's in the NPA M- standards that talks about the origin and the breeds that were used to create this this particular breed, and there's there's a lot of um, nuances that you know. This is simply a, a marketing of swing powder, and it's the same breed uh, that is found in Europe, which is simply not true. It's 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 vastly different. If, you know, e- even though they are related uh, over time, they've certainly evolved and changed. Just like German Modinas, for instance, it's a you know radically different breed than what has what come with the more modern Modena today. Uh, the, the American Bohemian powder, if you read the, the creation of the breed, it's, it's a result of farmers from the, the Czech Republic and in Germany and from Slovakia that immigrated to the United States. At the end of the 1800s and the beginning of the 1900s, it brought with them pigeons that they, that they predominantly used for food. And these individuals settled in the Midwest and they had these various breeds of, of swing-style powders. And they started breeding them towards a specific market and a specific standard. And over time, uh, morphed away from the, the original breeds that they, they brought with them. The, the breeds that were most commonly referenced are the, the Stavak and Stellar. And they're you know, very different today in Europe. The, the breeds have certainly evolved and, and morphed. And, you know, there's there's sort of this unique component where a lot of the Bohemians, I should say a lot, but there, there was definitely a distinct variety of Bohemian powders that had, were plain-headed, meaning that they have a bald head and they, they don't have that familiar forehead snip. But unique about that particular marking was they often would come crested. And there is a, a you know, interesting component there because neither the Stavok nor the stellar uh, are, are crested breeds. Uh, n- nor do they have that that same marking with, you know, the bald head magpie marked bird. And so, you know, after having traveled a lot in in Europe, I, I work in Europe pretty frequently. Uh, I spent a, a pretty considerable amount of time trying to track down, sort of where where this missing link came from of this you know this plain headed powder that, that's crested with a peak. And I discovered moravian croppers and you know it's interesting at least to me that the the individuals who brought the stavak and sellers to the united states from from the czech republic and germany most of them were were from czechoslovakia and at that time czechoslovakia was in czechoslovakian immigrants were most commonly referred to as being bohemian you know the music the dance and and yeah. culture uh, was was quite prevalent uh, during that time period, and so uh, these these powders were referred to as as Bohemian powders. But the other kingdom of the Czech Republic is Moravia, and it's, it's historically made up of, of two kingdoms. And there's two you know distinct types of, of pigeons there, but uh, you know very very fascinating. Um, unfortunately, the Moravian Cropper is also extremely rare in Europe, and there's. Uh, uh, it, it is a Slovakian breed, uh, or commonly referred to as a Slovakian breed. And in the this the Slovakian breeder directory for the club, uh, there, there's there's I, I can't remember the precise number, but something like 30, 35 breeders in in Europe with that particular breed. So quite limited there as well.
0: Interesting. So with the American Bohemian Powder, have you come across it at all over there?
1: so that the, the stavak and stellars are much more common and, and the stellar has a familiar marking but they're a much different different shaped bird they they have a uh, bit of frontal uh, they've got a different colored ice ear their their leg and, and body positioning is 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 also quite different and their globe shape and structure is also different so it you know about the only two critical items that they have in common is is the marking and the fact that they're in the powder and cropper family
0: let's open this up hello and welcome to the all about pigeons podcast i'm phil Chris. and today we have with us ryan bateman there is an article on him in the september october issue of purebred pigeon the return of the american bohemian powder and Ryan has done a great deal in bringing back this breed here where it belongs in the U.S. He's going to talk to us about that today. So, Ryan, thanks for coming on. This has been great.
1: Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. And and you give me more credit than I deserve. It's definitely been a, a passion of mine to help restore the, the American bohemian powder to its historical prevalence and hopefully beyond that. But certainly, it's a it's truly really the work of a, a, a great number of, of individuals before. Certainly, there's a lot of other breeders uh, that have worked very deeply and helping to, to save this heritage breed of powder from the United States.
0: Yeah, you know, I I was talking with someone the other day about how there's so many different breeds of pigeons that have existed for so long. It's, it's like, who's putting in this work? You know, there's so many, you know, over 600 breeds and they've been around for thousands of years. And it, it's kind of amazing that more breed, I mean, I'm sure that it happens, but it's kind of amazing that there's not just more big fall offs of a breed totally going extinct, and this is a, this is really great right here. Like how you're, the efforts that you've gone through and giving other people high quality birds to breed to keep this breed alive and keep it going.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's it's quite astonishing. Rare breeds are pretty prevalent within pigeons, as you say. You know, there's there's so many breeds of, of pigeons, and they're from all different places. You know, throughout the world, and it's it's interesting how popularity sort of waxes and wanes with particular breeds. I've, I've raised pigeons for uh, you know a little over three decades. And during that time period, breeds that were very rare have come back in, in great numbers and then other have nearly vanished. You know, it, it is impressive that there are so many breeds of pigeons. And, and I'm also surprised that more breeds have completely disappeared.
0: And this is a NPA um, recognized breed, right?
1: it sure is yeah it became a, a recognized breed uh, about uh, I, I believe it was late 80s when they they started the efforts to formally recognize it then it, i think it officially became a recognized breed in, in the early 90s so around 30 years ago but okay. the breed is much older than that of course having originated in the united states as a result of these these czech and slovakian and german immigrants Bringing different types and styles of swimming powders to the United States, and breeding towards this, this new, uh, this new version or variety of, of powder that today we refer to as the American Bohemian powder. Most of those immigrants were immigrants were in the United States by uh, before World War One, so you know, well, well over 110 years ago. The breed uh, has has been raised predominantly in the Midwest by people of, of Czech, Slovakian, or German uh, heritage predominantly. A couple of things I mentioned in the article, and I, I found this pretty interesting in doing research on the breed. They really were, were used for food. They're, they're amazing parents, so sort of unique compared to most powder breeds. They're usually free-flown, and I, I've been to Europe and I've seen the ancestors of these birds, and, and the farmers that I visited they, they fly the birds every day, and they, in many cases, still eat uh, the mismarked birds. And because it's such a difficult marking to master, there's always plenty of opportunity to put a couple of pigeons in in the pot. I personally have never consumed them, but I know a lot of the early breeders, when I was a kid who had bohemian potters absolutely loved consuming them. I mean, they certainly loved to raise them, but. They they also enjoyed them from a uh, agricultural point of view as
0: well. That's really weird to think about a powder being considered a meat bird. I mean, to me the powder is like a, a big deal of the fancy.
1: Yeah, I agreed. You know, and they're they're quite a large powder, uh, comparatively speaking, but you know, that that's it's sometimes interesting when I'm showing them. You know, it judges will expect them to be, you know, tighter waisted and, you know, more style or shape of a Vorberg cropper, uh, or or a Norwich cropper, etc., with a you know tight waist and a larger globe. But the breed has a you know it's a it's a medium-sized globe that's pear-shaped and the body is is quite large. I mean the, the cocks you know expected to be you know about a foot and a half long from, from the, the tip of their beak to the tip of their tail. So that's you know, quite a large bird and they're very, very heavy to, you know, well well over a pound in weight. So you know, for powder, it's there's quite a lot of substance, and they're, you know, they're they're expected to be very strong, in, in birds that you know should still be able to fly freely. Which my birds, I do not fly, but a number of it, whom I've given them to still fly them today. That's my new powder breed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sounds great. We need we need more guys like you and ladies too. I've got three different kinds of powders, and my favorites are the the Horseman, because like, I can fly them. Yes, I, I've them for a number of years there. I love the personality of the Horseman and, you know, also enjoy the ease of marking. You know, that's that's very nice. The Horseman actually is a breed when when Bohemias became quite scarce in the United States in the 2010s and, you know, it, really even in the last, you know, five, the the ten years it was it was pretty common uh, that people would outcross Bohemians with horsemen just because of their horsemen's prevalence during that that time period. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't really net you a, a a good bird for, from a Bohemian powder point of view. It's the wrong body and it's the wrong coloration, among many other things, of course. But but great for flying. Definitely a. Heavier powder with with a lot more strength and endurance than than other breeds of powders would would generate. I have uh, runners and uh, Vorberg croppers too. Very nice. I actually raised i for a long time. I kept just Bohemian powders from a powder point of view, but i today I have Vorbergs and I have I have the the American Bohemian powders. Uh, I have tried to import some Moravian croppers. Uh, unfortunately that didn't go so well. We're gonna try again here. Uh, my me and a, a couple other breeders from some some breeders that I've met in Slovakia over the years and have been working with since uh, just before COVID. If I might share just a couple of things. You know, we, we talked about you know sort of rare breeds and and this this evolution. I think one of the most fascinating things about the Bohemian powder is you know, they they originally were a utility they don't want to call them a utility breed, but they they were used for food and flying, et cetera. But the the breed the people who kept them predominantly kept them for utility purpose. And you know while they you know would would call the birds that matched the the body shape, style, personality, and, and marking and color that they were breeding towards, there there was a distinct variety that that came out of of these breeding programs, but it was, it was interesting that over the course of, of of the years, the breed started to go away, and it was because these older farmers that were were from these immigrant families in the Midwest, as they started to to pass away, a lot of their children and grandchildren had terrible memories of eating these pigeons, these you know dirty, rotten pigeons, and that was the last thing that they, they wanted. They didn't really see the value in them as a breed. They they just remember, you know, grandma and grandpa forcing them to eat pigeon. And I've, I've heard that story dozens of times while showing humans, um with, with older individuals that will see them at a show and happen to be from the Midwest and they recognize the breed, but that's their connection is that their grandparents uh, or in some cases their parents had them and, and they were almost always used uh for food
0: wow. i wonder if that happens with other if people who were raised with kings and stuff like that get kind of turned off like oh these are just chickens in <laughs> a way or something you know
1: yes yes i i think you're probably right i think you're probably right and you know in the in the late in the 1980s the breed started to disappear a pretty small group of, of breeders came together there were a lot of articles written in various Outer Club bulletins, and there there was this conversation about the Bohemians that you know they're excellent parents. That's not the issue. It's you know there just aren't enough people promoting them, and they saw that there was a you know relatively small number of breeders who had them, and nobody was really showing them because first of all they weren't an accepted breed in the MPA. but they were often shown in state fairs in Minnesota and Iowa, <clears throat> Illinois, Indiana, etc. But they weren't really shown at a national level, and they, there was a small group that, uh, of individuals that got together and decided that they needed to build a club for the breed. And so, in the mid 90s, uh, a club was established. In fact, I have a, the old club banner that was given to me by uh, the late Merle Frank. The club was established in 1994. I hang it in my office here, actually, where I'm taking the call today. And in the club later disbanded. You know. It, not quite a decade later, they they established the, the club and they got the standard cast and are going all the way back to 1984 to find articles from, you know, from Bob Cusick and Merle Frank and Herberg writing these articles saying that they you know they needed to really save the breed because it was at this at that point almost nearly a hundred years of breeding the the breed there was no formalized standard and they needed to come together to to really memorialize the breed and to solidify it as a legitimate breed in the United States. Uh, Even though it was really popular in the Midwest, it was not very popular on either the East Coast or the West Coast or uh, throughout the the Southern States. And really almost found exclusively in the US. There are breeders or were breeders I should say in Canada. And I I know of at least one breeder in Mexico that, that used to raise the breed as well but aside from north america you really don't find the the american bohemian powder things sort of come in cycles and so we've seen you know the breed you know fall down in the in the 80s and the late 70s where it was nearly extinct and then these group of breeders came together and rebuilt the breed and and built the club and then in the mid 90s it was it, it was actually one of the most common breeds of, of powders kept, uh, at least within the Southern Powder and Proper Club, which was a fairly large all breed powder club in the U.S. at that time. Uh, I believe it eventually became the American Powder Club and, and, and so on, but they published a breeder directory. It was quite extensive and the Bohemian was the third most common breed of powder that was kept but they weren't often kept as a primary breed. They were normally used as feeders for other large breeds of potters and croppers. And so people weren't really prioritizing the breed, you know, in the show hall and also in their loft. Fast forward a couple years later, uh, or really more about a decade later, and a lot of these guys that had, you know, a lot of stamina and helping to rebuild the breed are really frustrated. In fact, you find a lot of articles from these individuals that were aforementioned they stopped showing them, they didn't stop raising them, but they stopped showing them and promoting them because the, the Bohemian powder was never picked and it, as an overall champion for powders. And they're they're an extremely challenging breed to raise a good one from a marking and body and color point of view. No matter how hard they tried, they, they would always be looked over for, for another bird. And most of these guys, of course, raised other breeds of powders and it wasn't that they themselves would win, but they felt like the breed was sort of looked over as a an American creation, and it wasn't as legitimate as some of these other breeds, even Vorburgs, which are, you know, a fairly new breed. Yeah, you know, of course, also you know coming from the the 1900s, and in in really, I believe 1960s, 1970s, they become a became a legitimate breed. So they're they're very new, as well.
0: Yeah. So you said that these do do a good job as far as parents go even people use them as fosters what are some of like the pros and cons of this breed like especially with the powder breed like are they more prone to sour crop or not or they do raise their young they fly which is i think it's cool Um, what are some of the other pros and cons about getting into this breed
1: great question and thank you for asking the you know to me you know and and of course bias but I'll, i'll start off by saying i I've raised over 60 breeds of pigeons and I've raised over 20 breeds of powders and croppers. And I, and I really gradiate, you know, find that I, I gravitate towards powders and bohemians, and and we'll get into this in a moment, but because of their scarcity, a few years ago, I decided to re double down my efforts on just focusing on the bohemian powders as, as a primary breed. Um, but from a pro and con point of view, I genuinely have not found a powder that's, that's a better parent. I think the horsemen uh, are, are very, very similar in terms of their the way that they rear young. Uh, I have never in, in three decades of raising bohemians ever had a scalped baby in, in my loft of bohemians. And, you know, just to put this into perspective, <clears throat> I live in the, the Rockies. You know, it, it's my, I'm at 4,500 feet in elevation. I raised 200 Bohemian powders last year out of 15 pair, and I don't use foster parents. They are the parents of their own young, of course, and and I raise birds in all 12 months of the year, and they're they're very hardy. From the age of banding, I I lost. I actually just did a count before I got on the call. I lost six birds last year, uh, after I put a band on them, and and most of them. We uh, were in the month of January, and it was extremely cold, unseasonably cold here uh, in the Rockies last year with all the snow and, and cold weather that we had. So, you know, very, very strong birds. And, and the year prior, I only lost one post banding. So, you know, it, it, excellent parents. They sit tight, they raise their young very well. I would say a con is that their markings are tough. You know, magpie marked birds, anybody who's raised a magpie marked bird knows that. The, the difficulty in keeping you know the markings clean and then you throw a forehead snip on top of it and then the fact that they need to be show trained and glowed like any other powder but yet they're you, you know they' they're breed that's very strong and healthy and vibrant and they can fly. so they're less I, I would say tame than, than a lot of powders but I think that's probably why they're really good parents. They're, they've got a little more wild instinct in them. You, you mentioned sauerkraut. I, I've only ever had two instances of sauerkraut with Bohemians uh, in in 30 years, and both times it it was related to their their water running out uh, in the middle of, of the heat. And I both times I was traveling and had somebody else, uh, a neighbor kid, taking care of the birds, uh, and and that was the the result. But the bird survived uh, in spite of having sauerkraut. So, you know, very different than say a Norwich or an English or or Warburgs, you know, much less prevalence of sauerkraut for sure.
0: And you run a uh, Facebook group specifically for this breed as well. I do,
1: yeah. I have a Facebook group and they, a little bit on the backstory there. So in, in 2019, you know, there, there there weren't a lot of Bohemians basically after 20, you know, the, the, the 2010s, I would say, um, most of the, the the early breeders of Bohemians had had disappeared. They'd either gotten out of pigeons altogether uh, for health or other reasons, or they had passed away. But by 2015, there were only a couple breeders with large flocks of Bohemians that were still raising birds that actually had a large enough flock to maintain genetic diversification. You, you know what what happened is, you know, you had a lot of breeders that may have one or two pair you know, they become inbred or they end up crossbreeding them or they, they get rid of them because they just didn't have enough breeders in their area where they could find outcrosses. So even if they liked the breed, it became very difficult to maintain the, you know, the genetic integrity of the breed or the the quality, you know, once, once of course, they crossbreed the breed. You know, in, in 2019, I had a catastrophic incident where a loss that I'd been using and my father had been using for several decades. Uh, we had a, a female raccoon with some babies get in and killed all of my Bohemians, all of my hens, and all of my cocks except for two. You know, they they had injured them, but they they didn't actually die. So that was that was pretty devastating. And I had reached out to Merle Frank, and a lot of people who are familiar with the breed associate Bohemian powders with Merle Frank. He's really the he he is the individual that put uh you know a ton of work and effort in, in establishing the breed through the 80s and 90s and, and just did did a, a ton of uh, of backbreaking work to improve the breed and increase the distribution. And he pretty much knew every breeder. Unfortunately, in November of 2019, he he suddenly passed away and uh his birds you know were were dispersed. And he, he really didn't have too many at that point. The, another gentleman who had most of his birds is now in his late 80s, early 90s, and suffers from dementia, and is also out of the breed. And so the breed sort of disappeared in a very short period of time. And it was at that point that I, I set out to do everything I could to reestablish the breed. And, and I knew that part of that was finding other breeders. And so during COVID, I went on a 3,000... Mile road trip, trying to visit breeders, and that I know used to have the breed, and just sort of combing through the Midwest trying to find uh, breeders that might know where, or former breeders that might know where, where I could find a bird or two. Uh, Mary Morris in in Iowa, in in northeastern Iowa, she she has Bohemians, and she had a fairly large number of them. Varying degrees of quality, like, like everyone else. And some of hers had also needed to be crossed because she couldn't get up crosses. And I believe that they had been crossed with uh, American show racers and perhaps uh, horsemen's powders as well. But I was able to, to get from her a, a few birds that I was able to breed to these cocks. And also in 2019, I met a gentleman by the name of Michael Koblent. Uh He's a, a nice young man uh, that was raising Bohemians. I, he was at the Louisville National young Bird show and he had one pair and he'd raised some young and, and we partnered together and have exchanged a, a number of birds to to try to increase the you know his flock and, and my flock and and really to breed uh you know genetically diverse birds that we could pass back and forth what happened is I realized that we needed a, a club but first of all you need members and in, in order to really connect and, and build this network of, of known breeders, I created this American Bohemian Powder Facebook group. And we've had a lot of people who used to raise the breed or who were friends of the breed who've come forward and they you know they may not even be able to raise pigeons any longer, but you know, they've, they've come on and shared memories and photos and and you know point us in the right direction of people that have them. And so we've essentially created this network of known breeders. And, and since then, you know, I, I personally raised several hundred Bohemians in 2020, we got down to where, you know, by, by my estimation of all the people that had Bohemians, um, we were probably somewhere in the vicinity of, of a hundred and I'm rounding up of, of pure Bohemian powders that were left in existence, like I mentioned in, in my article, unlike all of the breeds of powders you know we can't go to another country. You know we can't go to yeah. Germany or Austria and find breeders of, of this breed. It's it's our breed. It's an American heritage breed that was you know near extinction.
0: And if anybody is looking to get into this breed, that'd probably be the first stepping stone right there, right? Jump on that Facebook group and see if you can find somebody in your area.
1: Absolutely. I've I've uh, given away um, several hundred birds. Uh, there's more than 30 breeders that that have uh, either started raising Bohemians for the first time or restarted raising the breed, and and there's you know about a, a dozen breeders that have, have been suffering through this with me for for some time, and so we we definitely have more breeders than we've had in a, in a long time, you know I, I'm happy to point people to the people you know in their local area or in the region that have the birds I and mean, we shipped them from. Uh, New England to California and from Florida to the Pacific Northwest and 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 everywhere in between. So the the breed has really been dispersed. Uh, you know, hopefully we start to see them showing up in 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 the show hall once again, and and we see the resurgence of this of this breed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's get this uh, rebranded. So uh, no more of this as American as apple pie. It's as American as the American Bohemian Powder. I
1: love it. I love it very much. I, I work for a company and we, a couple of our brands are Wilson and Louisville slugger. And you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, they're, they're heritage, American brands, of course. And you know, it's, it's funny. I, I use that a bit tongue in cheek just professionally with my, my association there I also work in the outdoor industry. We, we own a number of, of sporting good brands, but uh, I, in, in any case, it's it's interesting because you know I, I mentioned this in the article and I and I think it's so true. You know we as as people I think and societally we we really value and cherish things that that are foreign. You know we, we oftentimes you know, place a greater value on something if it comes from some far off or exotic place, and we fail to recognize you know the significance and importance of, of something from from our Hometown, or you know, Main Street in the the small town we grew up in. It always seems like you know the pasta is always better in Italy, or the beer is better in Germany, or the wine's better in France. But we always see that as being far superior to anything having come from from our home. And I, I think you know, failing to recognize the value of importance of what's local and what's ours, it's it's a big miss. And it's really the responsibility of us to to safeguard these heritage breeds, these rare breeds that you mentioned at the beginning uh, of this podcast. And we need to band together to make sure that we take care of what, what is our breed. So just like how we can go back to Germany and find, you know, many rare breeds or filled colored pigeons that are, that are from that, that area or the Czech Republic, et cetera. We should be able to preserve the breeds that are from here and, and place a greater degree of importance, not just on the American Bohemian powders. But the other breeds of uh, rare breeds of pigeons that are from our country, and I think that's really an obligation that we should hold here to protect, you know, this, this very fragile, uh, you know, hobby of ours that you know is under lots of different threats, and, and certainly genetic diversification and promotion is, is is among them. And I think it's important to take pride in what our forefathers have created. And I think there's a responsibility that each of us should hold for the next generation of breeders, you know, that we need to preserve what we have today and and make sure that it's that it's available and prevalent for the breeders of tomorrow. And that's really my rallying call is, you know, I I really want other breeders to, you know, you don't you don't need to convert your entire loft to raising bohemians, but I think it would do us a lot of good to pick up a pair of rare breed uh, birds that are heritage american birds from our area and let's do what we can to preserve that breed and show them and promote them in our area
0: absolutely yeah and anybody that's interested in this definitely check out the facebook page it's actually it's the american bohemian powder facebook group so you can jump on there hopefully find something that you can find a breeder that you can get your hands on a few to get going yeah let's see some of these at some shows that'd be really great
1: absolutely
0: so we're coming up against the clock here ryan thanks for coming on and talking with us i mean it's really cool man I'm. I'm it's cool to see someone who's really passionate about a certain breed and the effort you know that 3,000 mile road trip for for bringing bringing up this breed and everything that, that's, really, that's so cool it was, it was a really great article too if uh if you guys don't get the pure good pigeon magazine it's kind of like the closest thing to APJ or the American Pigeon, it, it goes into a lot of different breeds. That one was all about powders, and that's where we come across your article on there. So, thanks yeah, for coming thank on with us and talking about this bird of us and all your efforts. That's what it takes. It takes it takes all of us on this one. So, Let's it sure it does.
1: And case. I I sincerely appreciate the opportunity to to get on and speak with you guys, and you really appreciate the the time and attention for this breed. It's It's, you know, breed, I think it's been underserved and it's one that, you know, I I could talk for hours clearly on this breed and, you know, it's, it's one that, you know, it's been the underdog. It's it's really come coming around finally. And it's nice to see that resurgence and it's not a breed that has a lot of problems, you know, it's a breed that's actually, you know, it's a, it's a healthy breed, they're, they're striking, they're beautiful. They've got a great personality, they're excellent parents and they're just simply underserved and under distributed. And and I'm making it my mission amongst others to help distribute this breed and to ensure that its preservation continues on for that next generation of breeder.
0: Ryan, thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you.